Well, if you want to give a title to the message this morning, it's Lessons from Jesus' Prayer Life. Lessons from Jesus' Prayer Life. We've all heard the saying, do as I say and not as I do. And if you've, when you hear that, you immediately think about the inconsistency in our lives as fallen and sinful people. Often we say one thing but do the very opposite. And this is very sobering and humbling in the area of parenting where uh, often our kids are very quick to see that what we say we want them to do is not what we are doing ourselves. I thought about this recently as I was getting all my kids for their dirty and messy room with Legos all over the floor and then all of a sudden passed by my office on the way downstairs to see all of last year's papers and receipts and books and everything else scattered on the floor where I couldn't even see the carpet. And so uh, we, we, it brings to mind, the same brings to mind just some of the inconsistency and some of the hypocrisy that all of us have. Uh, I, I looked back and tried to find out where this saying originated and I found it uh, in the person of John Selden back in 1654. And in the context, he was talking about preachers, which I find kind of funny. Uh, but he said, preachers say, do as I say, not as I do. But if the physician had the same disease upon him that I have, and he should bid me do one thing, and he himself do quite another, could I believe him? Again, we're just reminded of the fact that so often we are inconsistent in our example to those around us. But Jesus, this morning, we're going to come to him, we're going to look at his life, we're going to peer into his prayer life, because we'll find there a perfect example. We'll find there no inconsistencies, no hypocrisy, and we'll see in Jesus much that we can learn about prayer. Last time... We looked at the disciples' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus spoke instruction about prayer. He taught us how to pray and what he said. And there's several places where Jesus did that in the Gospels. But here, this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' life. We're just going to peer in at various scriptures to see how Jesus prayed and how he modeled prayer on this earth while he was here. And hopefully gain some encouragement from that. It's easy to look at Jesus' life and become discouraged because he was the perfect man, but I trust that the lessons that I put before you this morning will serve to encourage you, and we all need encouragement when it comes to prayer. We could all use that. So this morning I want to give you five lessons that we're going to observe from Jesus' prayer life that I trust will encourage all of us to draw near to the Lord in our own prayer time. I pray that they'll have an impact on all of our prayer lives this year. Well, the first lesson that we find when we look at Jesus, when we begin to study his life and we examine all that the scriptures say about his prayer life is that Jesus focused on a person and not on prayer. That may seem very odd to you, but it's a truth and I think you'll understand it more as we unpack it. Jesus focused on a person and not on prayer. I like what Paul Miller says in his book, The Praying Life. He says, a praying life feels like our family mealtimes because prayer is all about relationship. It's intimate and it hints at eternity. We don't think about communication or words, but about whom we're talking to or with. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect to God. He goes on to say, oddly enough, many people struggle to learn how to pray because they're focusing on praying, not on God. Making prayer the center uh, is like making conversation the center of a family mealtime. In prayer, focusing on the conversation is like trying to drive while looking at the windshield instead of through it. He concludes, it freezes us, making us unsure of where to go. Conversation is only the vehicle through which we experience one another. Consequently, prayer is not the center of this book. Getting to know a person, God, 
is at the center. And I appreciate that about Paul Miller. But that's why he wrote the book, to connect us with God. See, when we look at Jesus' prayer life, when we begin to study it, we realize that Jesus was an amazing prayer. He had an amazing prayer life, not, because, not necessarily because he was the perfect God-man, but because he understood this truth. And if you get anything this morning, get this, that the heart of prayer is relationship. The heart of prayer is relationship. It's communion and fellowship with the living God of the universe, our Heavenly Father. And many of us fail to pray the way that Jesus did because we have a different purpose in praying. And we see prayer in a different way. For, many, for some of us, it's, we, we see prayer as duty or we pray out of fear. And in that, in that, when that's the purpose or that's the heart of it, it, prayer is a means to appease God with whom we often don't have very much of a relationship with. For others, it's tradition. The purpose of prayer is tradition. And the means of prayer is to please other people, to do what we've been taught by those who love us and whom we love. And for many of us, it's pride that is the purpose of why we pray. And prayer merely serves as a means to look good and exalt ourselves in the presence of other people. But for Jesus, prayer was a means to God and to nothing else. It was a means to get to God and nothing else. Jesus longed to pray because he longed to be with his Father. Jesus loved to pray because he loved his Heavenly Father. He loved to be with him and spend time with him. He adored him. And we understand this not from any one particular scripture, but as we think about and contemplate Jesus as the second person of the Trinity. See, from all of eternity, Jesus has been inside of this love relationship. He has been enjoying this kind of relationship all through all, all of history. In fact, Tim Keller says, as Tim Keller begins to unpack the, just how profound this idea of, of the Trinity is, this, this theolog, theological concept and, and reality of the Trinity is. He says, Trinitarian, tr- Trinitarianism holds that there is one God in three persons who know and love one another. He says, if from all eternity, without end and without beginning, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving one another, then ultimate reality is all about loving relationships. And Tim Keller understands what Jesus experienced throughout all of his background, through all of his past. Jesus has existed in perfect relationship with the Father and with the Spirit. And and the three members of the Godhead have revolved around one another. What Tim Keller goes on to describe, using the words of C.S. Lewis, as a dance, as they dance together, as they orbit around one another, as they enjoy each other and fellowship with one another and love one another and prefer one another. There's all this one anothering and community and communion and fellowship and relationship happening. And that's what Jesus had experienced and knew from all of eternity. And so through prayer, Jesus in his humanity is simply experiencing what eternally he had known as the second person of the Trinity. And he was experiencing on this earth what you and I were made and created to experience. You see, our background has some interesting uh, facts to it. We at one time had amazing fellowship and relationship with the God of the universe. Before the fall, God dwelt with us on this earth, and we walked with him literally and spent time with him. We had uninterrupted, uninhibited, unimaginable relationship with him. But you and I, because of the fall, because of our own sin, were born into something very different. And here's where the gospel connection to prayer 
is made. It's through the gospel. It's through the gospel that God has brought us back into relationship with himself. Like Ephesians 2.13 says, We who were once far off, he has brought near by the blood of Christ. And God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have invited you and I, the triune God of the universe has invited you and I to enter into relationship with him. And prayer is a means to do that. Prayer is a means to do that. On this side of heaven, it is the way into which we enter that relationship and enjoy that relationship with God. Jesus alluded to this in his prayer in John 17 as he spoke with his father on behalf of his disciples. He said, and this is eternal life. This is what all of life was made for, meant for. This is life to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And what he means by that is to experientially, relationally know the God of the universe. That's what life is all about. That's what prayer is all about. And we will only pray like Jesus did when we begin to fall in love with this amazing God of the universe, where we begin to see that this relationship is like no other that we will ever experience. It's the most amazing relationship that ever has been, ever will be. And when we begin to start seeing prayer, not as a means to an end, but as a way into that relationship with God. Jesus understood that. He wasn't focused on prayer as an end. He was using it as a means to get to and enjoy and commune with and fellowship with and have relationship with his Father. Well, there's a second lesson that we can learn from Jesus' prayer life in observing him that I trust will encourage us, and that's that Jesus made time to be with God in prayer. Jesus made time to be with God in prayer. You see, when we long to know God in relationship and we understand that prayer is the way to do that, then we'll long to make time. We'll long to secure time in which we can be with God in prayer. I remember when I discovered my desire to be in a relationship with Jennifer, who is my wife. And uh, there's many thoughts that come to my mind and that uh, get me excited. I'm sure many of you who are married uh, or been in a relationship like that um, can, can, can think back on. But there's, <clears throat> there's one memory that I have that it was almost like uh, divine or angelic. It was amazing. Uh, I, I had known Jennifer for about a year or two, and I just knew about her. I, I didn't think I had a chance in the world with this girl. She was really godly. I was a brand new believer. And I actually went off to uh, Florida for a year to, to work and do some other stuff. And when I came back to California, I uh, was invited to a Bible study where she was attending and several other eligible single Christian women were attending. Uh, this was like the bachelor's, the Christian man's dream, the jackpot. And I remember going to that, being very excited to attend that Bible study. I don't remember what they were teaching about, but I was very excited to be there. And I remember the night <clears throat> uh, when this happened. I, I came and I knocked at the host's home and, and they opened the door and this is where it just all turned into slow motion. And, and the way that the house was situated was there was a hallway all the way down to the end where the kitchen was. And in the kitchen was Jennifer. With a, she had a cup in her hand. She was looking at, talking to someone. She had a sweater on. And again, the slow motion began and a light shone down from heaven <laughs> on her. And I heard a host of angelic beings cry out, hallelujah. And I just heard myself uttering, thank you, Jesus. And I walked through the door. Um, and the rest is history. I, I longed, I knew then and there that I longed to be with this girl. I wanted to know her. 
I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to connect with her. I wanted to sit close to her. I wanted to listen to her. I wanted to be with her in a relationship. And Jesus, because he longed for his father, because he loved his father, um, he felt the same way. And he made time for that to happen. He made time for that to happen. I'm amazed at how much we live in a day and age where there's so many things vying for our time. And we're, we're being bombarded with things. And we're often giving away so much of our time because, because so many things have our hearts. And I'm thinking about just all the ways that we're taught and, and influenced to, to be focused on and to give our time to. I was even just thinking this week about technology and just... Just how consuming technology has become in our day and age. You know, when I was growing up, wireless only meant one thing, the remote control. That was it. That was the only wireless thing that we had. And you were tech savvy. Your your tech savviness was measured by how long your phone cord was in your kitchen. And I remember our phone, we could could pull that phone cord and, and talk on the phone in almost any room in our house. But nowadays, we live in a day where we have Facebook and all these other things, Facebook, where we spend hours and hours looking at people's lives and where we try to present our lives as best we can, even though we're having a horrible day or fighting with our spouse, it's all smiles and pretty posts. And uh, we're tweeting and there's so many tweets and they're, just, they're flying all over the universe and all over cyberspace. And there's, there's thousands of blogs on cooking and homeschooling and sports and you're busy reading blogs and trying to make your own blog and there's Skype and there's email and there's texting and there's instant messaging and there's forums and chat rooms. And now the latest thing that I was introduced to just over the holiday was Pinterest. I don't know how many of you ladies are on Pinterest, but it's where you basically see something on the internet that you like and you put a pin in it and people get to see what you're pinning uh, and what you like and you get to spend hours looking at what they're poking or pinning on the internet. Um... And I'm just, I just realized that we have to be so careful. None of these things are bad in of themselves, but we have to be so careful where we give our time and our hearts to. I'm, I think of First John where it says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Jesus was a busy guy. Jesus enjoyed the things of the world. He was in the world, but he loved his Father and he wanted to spend time with him. It wasn't even that Jesus didn't want to be busy. He was busy. Busyness wasn't the problem. But above all, Jesus was people-focused. He oriented his life around people and made time for them. And at the top of his list was his Heavenly Father. He made time for him. We have examples of this in the Scriptures. I just want to point you to a few. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus has begun his public ministry. He's going like crazy. It's like a book tour. It's like a road show. And he's going from town to town preaching. He's intensely busy. Uh, But we find in verse 35 that he rises up Early in the morning, it says he wrote, rising up very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. See, Jesus made time in the midst of his busy schedule, in the midst of all the demands of his life to seek out and enjoy time with his father. He wanted this time. He wanted this time. And it just wasn't this one particular time that we observe. But Luke says that this was a pattern. It says, but he would regularly, present tense, he would, he was continually withdrawing himself to desolate places and praying That was the pattern of Jesus' life. He regularly made time to enjoy communion and fellowship and relationship with his Father. And for many of us, we just, we need a life change. We need to reorient ourselves where God is at the center. We're loving him. We're enjoying him. And we're learning to say no to the things that would threaten, anything that would threaten that time with him. Realizing that the world makes time for all of these things because that's all it has. But we have something so much greater. We've been called to something so much more wonderful, and that's a relationship with God. 
And it takes time to cultivate that, to enjoy that, to grow in that. Well, I know there's some of you who are busy and you're not busy because you're trying to cram all these other things in your life, but you're busy just because of life, changing diapers, grocery shopping, all these things. I I think of some of our moms and, and dads who are very busy in life, college students. We are busy people. And uh, for you, I want to encourage you that there were times where Jesus, he didn't have the time that he wanted. He, he was interrupted. In fact, we find an account of that in Matthew 14, uh, verses 12 and on. John the Baptist had just been murdered. And it says, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. And now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Here's Jesus and he's just heard the news of his cousin having been murdered. No doubt this is an emotional moment for him. And he he wants nothing more than to just run off and and be with his father in prayer. He, He wants to find refuge in his father in prayer. And Jesus gets into a boat seeking a desolate place for himself. But the crowd gets wind of it and they follow him. And when he comes ashore with his boat, he's, he's, he's immediately uh, just confronted with, with this onslaught of this crowd. And, and he momentarily puts aside time with his father and he has compassion on them. Eventually, later in the day, he would feed more than 5,000 of these people. And it wasn't until later in verse 23 that we read, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. I think of my wife who used to in college and even before children used to have time with the Lord where she could have an hour or two or, or whatever time. She'd, she'd have these, these, these moments where she could enjoy time in his presence. Now she tiptoes down the stairs, avoiding the creeks in our stairs, and gets down and finally with her journal and her Bible and her tea, puts on a fire. And no sooner has she done that than, one of, than the baby's crying or one of our kids is coming down into her lap and asking for breakfast. And Jesus understood that. He understood that there's going to be moments where we just can't. Um, we can't make the time or we have to defer that time. But be encouraged because Jesus, Jesus understood that. He experienced that. See, Jesus longed to be with his Father, and even when he couldn't be, he longed to be. You see, the true measure of maturity is not how long we pray, but how much we long to pray. And Jesus longed to be with his Father. That's what all of us can learn from him, just how much he longed for that. He loved him. He loved his Father. Um, how do we make time for the Lord? Let me just, number one, fall in love with him. You, you fall in love with the Lord and no one has to make you do anything. You want to be with him. But there are some things we can do also, and that's to locate ourselves where God is, to put ourselves where he is. This is where we see the connection to the word and prayer. These are not isolated things. When we come to the word, what we're doing is we're coming and we're sitting down before the Lord and we're listening to him. We're hearing his heart speak to us. And then we're responding as we share our own heart and, respond and, and are, are changed and influenced by what he has said. When we, when we locate ourselves in the gospel and we're beholding the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us, and we're, we're even more empowered and emboldened to come into his presence and to enjoy our relationship because of what he has already accomplished for us. We grow or make time when we locate ourselves in his creation, even just walking and, and, and being mindful of all that God has made that causes us to stand in awe of him and relate to him and enjoy him. And, and we, can, we can do this by locating ourselves with his people where we worship him together, where we raise our voices in prayer together. 
as one family. And as we see, as we stare at one another, we see the grace of God in each one of our lives. And we give him thanks and we begin to relate to him. There's so many ways that we can locate ourselves where God is. But that's the important thing. We need to make time for him. And Jesus did this. Jesus sought long and hard to find time and to make time to move things out of his schedule. Uh, and when he couldn't, to make time afterwards to be with the Lord. There's another lesson, a third lesson that we can learn from Jesus' prayer life that I trust will encourage us. And that's that Jesus experienced the freedom of prayer by weaving it into every part of his life. Jesus experienced the freedom of prayer by weaving it into every single part of his life. Paul Miller says, because prayer is all about relationship, we can't work on prayer as an isolated part of life. That would be like going to the gym and working on just your left arm. You'd get a strong left arm, but it would look odd. That's kind of funny. Uh, many people's frustrations with prayer come from working on prayer as a discipline in the abstract. We don't learn to pray in isolation from the rest of our lives. See, Jesus understood that prayer was all about relationship. It was the way into relationship and enjoyment of his father. And Jesus never wanted to compartmentalize that. He never wanted to just relegate it to one little part of his life. He didn't want to just put it in the quiet time box or in the morning box. Those are things that are important. You're blessed if you have a quiet time. You're blessed if you spend time with the Lord in the mornings. But Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus realized the freedom that God has given us and he wove prayer into every part of his life. You see, God has not put prayer in a little box. He hasn't told us, you have to pray on this mat, facing in this direction, wearing these clothes, in this posture, facing that way at, this, at these times of the day. Jesus has not done that. God, in his instruction on prayer, has given us full freedom. He's opened the doors wide, and he said, go and enjoy prayer, however, whenever, in whatever posture, at whatever time, with whomever you want. And Jesus realized that freedom. You see, when we observe Jesus' life, we see that he took advantage of that freedom by, by weaving prayer into everything and in, in everywhere. In fact, when we observe Jesus, we realize that he prayed alone several times. He went off to pray by himself. He prayed in the presence of other people and with other people, for other people. He prayed early in the morning, midday, late at night, and well into the night. He prayed spontaneous prayers. He prayed prayers that no doubt had been taught to him in his home and in the synagogue. He prayed long prayers. In fact, we find one in John 17 where he prays a very long prayer. Luke 6 says that he prayed all night. And he prayed short prayers. The shortest prayer that I could find that Jesus prayed was in John 12, 28, where he says, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. That was it. It's funny, that, that, that instance, because he actually is talking to his disciples and they're saying, hey, some Greeks want to meet you. And he's saying, look, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, you know, it doesn't produce fruit. And he starts going off about kind of alluding to his death. And all he says, man, my soul has come, become overwhelmed. And what shall I say, Lord? You know, Father, keep me from this hour. But for this hour, I've come. And then he just says, Father, glorify your name. It's like he's talking to his disciples. And all of a sudden, he's into the spontaneous prayer just immediately. I mean, that would just be so weird if we were talking to each other and just, boom, just start kind of... It's like you're having a conversation with your friend, all of a sudden he just like busts out in this prayer. But that's what Je- Jesus had full freedom. He, 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 he just prayed a free man. He prayed for himself. He prayed for others. He prayed for his enemies. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He prayed for children as he received them into his lap and blessed them and laid his hands on them. He prayed for his friends. He said, Peter, behold, Satan demands to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. He prayed with his face on the ground in the garden. He prays with his eyes lifted up in John 17. He prayed indoors and outdoors on mountains, in gardens, 
He prayed in a river while he was getting baptized. I never prayed at my baptism, but Jesus prayed while he was getting baptized. He prayed in the temple. He prayed while he was on the cross. You see, Jesus took advantage of anywhere and everywhere he could to pray. He enjoyed prayer and he wove it into every part of his life. And this is God's desire for us. It's through the gospel that God has said, I have given you constant, constant and continual communion with me. It's ironic, you know, thinking back to technology that we live in such a connected and free time. We can, I can Facebook anytime I want. I can instant message my wife. I can call my sister who lives in South Africa on a daily basis if I wanted to through Skype. But when it comes to prayer, often many of us act as if we're still letter writing in the 19th century. We compose a prayer every now and then. And the irony is that prayer affords more freedom, more options, more instant gratification, more possibilities than any technology that we have or ever will have. We are totally free. You know, many of us are still like children when it comes to praying this way. But be encouraged. Here's the hope. The hope is that we have a lifetime, that God gives us a lifetime to experience. And he gives us all the freedom. So he gives us all this time and all this freedom to just go crazy. He opens the doors and he says, go and enjoy. Come into my presence. Enjoy me. We see that Jesus went on this journey. And that's why we can be encouraged to go on this journey as well. In Luke chapter 2, verse 48, uh, Jesus and his family have just gone to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jesus' parents are headed back to Nazareth. Jesus is supposed to be with them, but he stays behind. And they go searching for him. When they find him, they, they're like, what's going on? And he says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? You see, already at a young age, Jesus knew his need to be with his father. It was this house, the temple, that Jesus would later refer to as a house of prayer. And Jesus was no doubt there for several reasons to interact with the, the, the leaders, spiritual leaders. But no doubt he was there to connect with his father. You see, at an early age, he began the journey. And it says, when he went home, in Luke chapter 2, verse 54, or 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And the word for stature there means maturity. You see, along with every other area of his life, in his humanity, Jesus grew in prayer. He took a lifetime to grow in prayer and to experience prayer and to go on that journey and to enjoy time with his father. And that should be an encouragement to all of us. We don't have it to have it together right now. But, but God has invited you and he said, because of the gospel, you can enjoy this freedom. You have a lifetime to experience and weave prayer and experience and enjoy prayer throughout all of your life. God is inviting you and I on that journey to do that. And we do that by, by weaving it into every area of life. Well, there's a fourth lesson that we can learn from Jesus' prayer life that I trust will encourage um, us all, and that is that Jesus found refuge in prayer at some of life's most important moments. Jesus found refuge in prayer, in his Father, through prayer at some of life's most important moments. You see, the more we experience the freedom of weaving prayer into every area of life, the more we will find refuge in prayer no matter what situation we encounter in life. To put it another way, the more we experience our relationship with God in every area of life, the more we will find refuge in God no matter our situation in life. And Jesus is an example of this. It's because Jesus just naturally prayed everywhere, anywhere, whenever, however. It was natural for Jesus to turn to God in those pivotal moments and those significant moments of his life. And we, I just want to give you two examples of this. The first example is in the midst of important decisions. Jesus 
made important decisions while on this earth. And he came to his father. He sought refuge in his father and in his relationship with his father in the midst of these decisions. And we see this in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. It says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Here's Jesus in verse 13 on that day making one of the most important decisions he would make. He's choosing 12 men who would go on to be what Ephesians 2.20 refers to as the foundation of the church. Jesus himself being the cornerstone. These men were to, to lay the foundation. They were to take the gospel forth. They were to proclaim his name, baptizing people and teaching them to obey all that Jesus had commanded. These were men from whom which inspired scripture would come. This was no small decision. And Jesus, what is he doing the night before this big day? It says that all night he continued in prayer on that mountain to God. Jesus sought God in the midst of an important decision in life. Brothers and sisters, you and I, just in this new year, will make thousands of life-changing decisions. And we need to find encouragement here to run to God, to find refuge in God like Jesus did in the midst of those decisions. I hear many people telling me, I, I, I feel like God is leading me to do this or that. And what they're really sensing is just more of a gut feeling of what they think God is doing. But many of those people have not bathed these decisions in prayer. And really what it all is is just code for I'm wanting to do what I want to do. But Jesus, when he was in the midst of an important decision, he sought out God. He looked to God and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? No doubt that night he was praying for several reasons and over several things, but no doubt I trust that he was praying for wisdom and for strength to, to make a right decision, to glorify God in that day, to seek God's heart out, to know God's will and what God wanted. And that's what our, our spirit should be in the midst of important decisions in life. There's much we can learn from Jesus here. There's another area, example, uh, uh, kind of a significant moment in Jesus' life where he found refuge in God in prayer, and that's in times of trial or temptation. In times of trial or temptation. We see this in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus approached the cross and as all of that, his greatest trial and temptation loomed on the horizon. It says, And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Here's Jesus, and he, he knows what awaits him. He knows how difficult and challenging the next few hours and days will be, the next day would be. And he comes and he runs into the presence of his Father. He finds refuge in the arms of his Father, and he, he tells the disciples why we ought to pray. He says, pray that you might not enter into temptation. And Jesus just didn't give the advice and then kind of just stand in the corner of the garden asking his disciples to do that. No, he did. He lived out what he preached. He did what he was calling them to do. He says he went a stone's throw from them and he knelt down himself and he began to pray. God, uh, Jesus sought out God and he poured out his heart before him and he sought to know God's will and to do God's will. And he was praying a prayer in which he was finding refuge ultimately in the will of God. He was saying, Lord, this would be my desire that you would remove this cup, but nevertheless, whatever you will, that's what I want. Whatever your will is for the situation, I want that to be my will. He was doing the, the best thing that he could do in times of trial and temptation. That's finding refuge and strength and wisdom and encouragement in prayer and in his Father's presence. 
We are going to face trials and temptations. We do that every day. And we need to be prayed up like this. We need to be like Jesus, running and finding refuge in our God. The disciples, what were they doing? They were sleeping during this time. And we know how the story ends for them. Jesus blazes through these trials and this temptation with flying colors. He comes out glorifying God on the other side of the cross. But these men, because they were not prayed out, because they hadn't found refuge in God, failed miserably. They, they scattered like sheep, unready for, unprepared for, for what was coming. See, this should encourage us because if we do this, our Father's ready to be our refuge, to be our strength. And Jesus alludes to this in Psalm, or we get an allusion to this in probably what Jesus felt. He could have prayed this, this prayer in Psalm 59, 16, where it says, For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. You see, when it comes to difficult situations, Jesus knew that he had one place and one place only to go, and that was into the presence of his Father through prayer. And that's where he went. Well, the more we experience the freedom of weaving prayer into every part of life, the more that we'll find refuge in prayer no matter the situation of life. And the more that we do all of that, the more that we will never cease to pray. And that's the last point that we observe in Jesus' earthly prayer life that I want to point out this morning. And that's that Jesus persevered in prayer to the end. Jesus persevered in prayer to the end. Jesus relentlessly pursued a relationship with his father. He made time to be with him. He enjoyed the freedom that this relationship afforded him through prayer. He sought refuge in his father through every difficult or trying circumstance. And consequently, Jesus lived a life where he related to God all the way to the end of his life. And we see this dramatically played out on Calvary as Jesus hangs on the cross. In fact, Matthew 27 records this moment. It was Jesus had already been hanging on the cross for six hours when it says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just a few verses later, it records Jesus, cry, that he cried out with a loud spirit. He cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Matthew doesn't tell us what the last words of Jesus were. But Luke does. In Luke 23, 46, it says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. See, Jesus ended his last moment on this, on this earth, this side of the cross, this side of death. He ended that moment in prayer. What a way to go. I hope all of us would go like that or have the opportunity to go like that. But what's amazing is not just that he went out praying. What's amazing is that he never stopped praying. At his darkest hour, crying out to God, he got nothing but silence from the Father. God did not reply. And even though he was alone, even though he was suffering, even though he was dying, he continued to pray. He continued to entrust himself to God. He continued to hope in the Lord. You see, there's going to be circumstances in every one of our lives. Everybody in this room is going to have a circumstance or a situation that will tempt you to stop praying. It will tempt you to give up and stop praying. Whether it's unsaved family that you've been praying for for decades, whether it's never getting married or having children, whether it's a terminal illness that God brings into your life, whether it's besetting sins that bring you to a point of despair where you think you'll never overcome them, 
whether it's the discouragement and the defeat of wayward children and the heartbreak that comes with all of that, there's going to be times where you are tempted to stop praying, to no longer persevere in prayer. And there's only one thing, there's only one thing that's going to enable you to to continue in prayer, to persevere in prayer, and that is hope. Hope. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's experiencing the unthinkable, what he had never experienced for all of eternity, that is separation from this relationship. He had had this relationship with the Spirit, with his Father, for all of eternity. And for a moment, he's out of that relationship. He's alone, all isolated, in the unthinkable. And he's crying out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the last thing that Jesus says is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's as if Jesus could have prayed the words of Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. You see, hope is what keeps us praying. Hope in the Lord, hope in his character, hope in his wisdom, hope in his goodness and in his divine plan, hope in his love. Hope is the only thing that will keep us praying to the end like Jesus did. Jesus knew, even though he was experiencing the unthinkable, he knew, he still knew and hoped in the goodness of God. He knew that his father was in control. He knew that on the other side of things, he would see the goodness of the Lord. In fact, he he could have prayed Psalm 27 as well. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the meantime, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, we, we may already be right now in those kind of circumstances that threaten to to tempt us to, to, to stop praying. And, and some of us will, and just maybe perhaps this new year, we will experience something that will threaten us, will tempt us to, to, not, to no longer pray and cry out to the Lord. But know this, that we can hope in the Lord, even though we don't understand, that one day we will see the goodness of the Lord. We will understand all of His goodness and all of His divine intent. We'll know why He did what He did. We'll see how He wove it together for His glory and our good But for now, no matter the circumstances, we wait upon the Lord. We do what Jesus did. We hope in the Lord. We keep on praying. We keep on praying. Well, these are just five lessons that I pray will encourage all of us as we go into this new year, as we continue the journey that God has allowed us to begin with him through the gospel, a relationship with him. I pray that these will encourage you to continue to pray. How do we do all this? Maybe some of you are overwhelmed. Um, how do we do this? I can only tell you one thing, and that's we need to fall in love with Jesus. We need to fall in love with the Lord. We need to see him as precious. We, we need to see him as our all. And if we do that, we will run to him. We'll long, we'll look past prayer to him and, and be focused on him. We'll make time for him because we want to. We'll enjoy the freedom and take full advantage like Jesus did of all the moments we can have with him and how we can weave him into every part of our life. We'll seek him out in prayer for whatever circumstances we're, we're facing. And no matter what happens on this side of eternity, we will persevere because we have hope in this one. This is what Jesus is teaching us this morning. And I just pray that all of us would be encouraged and would just that our prayer would be this year that we could begin to pray in this way. Let's let's all pray right now. Father, we thank you for your example, Lord Jesus. 
you, you did not say, do as I say, not as I do. You said, do as I say and as I do. Look at me, listen to my voice, hear how I have instructed you in the way to pray, and, and then look at my life for encouragement. See how I did it. And Lord, you're inviting us to join you in that. Lord, you are the greatest treasure. You are the most important relationship. And prayer is all about that relationship. Lord, help us to see prayer that way. Help us to embrace prayer as a way to enjoy, commune with, relate to you, and grow in intimacy with you, Lord. And I pray that we would just take full advantage of all the freedom that you've provided through Christ to have access to you, Lord. We pray that, I pray that we would find refuge in you and that we would persevere all the way to the end, that we would die having prayed all the way, never ceasing, continually hoping in you. Lord, only you can help us to do that. We pray and invite you to help us to do that through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we give, as the ushers come forward, and as we prepare our offerings to you, Lord, I pray that you would use these offerings also to, to glorify yourself, help us to, to love you as we give to you, as we see your kingdom furthered, as we see you put on display. Lord, I pray for those here who may not know you. I pray that they would just see you as beautiful and precious, someone worth having a relationship with. The God of the universe has, has invited us into a relationship with you. Lord, you're ready. You're, you're waiting right there, wanting relationship with us. Help us change our hearts so that we long to be with you. We see you for all of your glory and beauty. Transform our prayer lives this year and as a congregation and in our homes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.